I want to welcome you guys. Uh, if you're new with us, we hope you really enjoy your time. If you're old, we're glad you're here too. Uh, if you're a college student, we're really excited you guys are here. Uh, both because of the energy that you bring to this room and because of what it says about this time of year. It means that college football is now here. It is the hap, hap, happiest time of the year. So even if your football team does not have a coach. Subtle reference to my Ohio State love. Okay. There's no connection from that to the teaching. Just wanted to share that. We are in week two of our series about knowing God. Last week, we talked about the holiness of God. This morning, we're going to speak about the love of God. And I got to admit, as I was preparing for this talk, I thought, this is kind of like emotionally standing up here. It's kind of like me announcing that today I'm going to speak on humility and how I attained it. You know, like who would possibly say that and who's qualified? And so how am I qualified to speak about the love of God? I once was a rebel to love. I did not know what love was until I met Jesus. And over the years, it's just been a slow transformation of encountering that. I want you to look with me at what Paul prayed for the church of Ephesus that I believe we could apply to our lives here today in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. He writes, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And what this shows us is the priority of love. And we all know this. Whether or not you're a Christian this morning, you know that love is what, all, is life, is what life is all about. It's the center. It's the pinnacle. Jesus, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? said, you shall love the Lord your God. With all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. You should become a person of love. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1, verse 5, he said, this is the goal of all instruction. The goal of every teaching is love. So this shows us, as Paul is praying for this church, there's so many things he could have prayed, but he prayed that they would be strengthened with power, that they would know the full dimensions of love. This shows the priority of love. It also shows the power of love. If Paul is praying that we would need to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit, it shows that love is not something natural to us. Now, you may disagree with that. You may say that, well, no, we all kind of instinctively know what love is. And yes, to a degree, but not divine love. Not the love we're going to talk about this morning. This is foreign to our mind and to experience. We need God to teach us. And this is very encouraging because it puts the pressure on the Holy Spirit working in us, not on us, not on us perfecting ourselves and becoming, becoming something we can't be. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend. And he goes on to say the dimensions of God's love. We've got to be rooted and grounded in love. We have to have a foundation, if we're going to understand the, the full capacity, the dimensions of God's love, we've got to have a de definition of love that we all agree upon. Does that make sense to you? And our, it's here where we contrast with culture, and we've got to say the definition of love and culture, the definition of God and culture, and what we're going to talk about today are two different things entirely. Society looks at God as being a strange mix of a cosmic genie, that just wants to provide us what we want 
and the kind of huggy grandfather that would never say anything hard or difficult to you? Like God is just this huggy, all-accepting ball of love. Last week, we talked about the holiness of God. We talked about how God in his essence is like this burning fire. And when people encounter God in truth, they're driven to a posture of humility on their face because they know how dirty we are. We realize how unclean we are. But then God remarkably moves toward us like we saw in the Moses episode last week where God, the holy God, speaks and he says, Moses, Moses, this term of endearment. I want you to look at this quote from Oswald Chambers with me. When we preach the love of God, there is a danger of forgetting that the Bible reveals not first the love of God, but the intense blazing holiness of God with his love at the center of that holiness. I've shared with all of us how I became a Christian on a mountain in Colorado when I was 17. I haven't shared with you the message that I heard. Night after night, what they talked about was the holiness of God and God's commandments. And so the good news that I heard was that I was woefully sick at, in every place of my being, that my emotions were warped, that, that my will was bent away from God, that I didn't love him, that I didn't want him, that I wanted to be the God of my own world, and that was called the good news. And I remember thinking, that's good news, until the next night when they talked about the cross. And then God's love made sense because it was in the context of his holiness. And it floored me that a holy God could love me the way that he does. Verse 18, that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, that is Christians, that we may comprehend with all Christians what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses, surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. And I just want you to notice the effect of love here. It says that you will be filled up. If you can comprehend the love of Christ, the scripture teaches, that will fill your heart with love. So that our posture toward the world toward your spouse, toward your kids, to other people is no longer needy like my soul has drunk deeply from the well of his love. And now I can just give as an overflow to people. Verse 20, not at him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And here Paul speaks of the glory of love. I've been on a 38-year journey of knowing Christ and of learning what love is. I began very self-centered, very arrogant. You would not have liked me. I know that's a stretch for some of you. It's like, no, I would have. No, you would not have. And it's been this journey of love, and I can testify I see selfishness in my life. 
but I know he's changed me into a person that is centered around people. And I know he deserves all the glory. It's the glory of love. It comes from God. So what I want to share with us this morning is what has surprised me about God's love. I want to share with you what has been very surprising. Isn't that a cutesy slide? I thought twice about that slide. I couldn't find any others. It is cutesy. I want to share about what is surprising about God's love to me. And the first is that it's self-sacrificial. It's self-sacrificial. And I want to challenge a very dearly held belief in some of us here. I want to ask you, do you think God's love is unconditional? That seems a mantra that everyone holds to, that we believe that God's love is unconditional. And I want to say, I think it's better than that. I think it's beyond that. When believers talk about God's unconditional love, they mean that now that they're adopted sons and daughters, no matter, no matter what we're going to do, we don't drive him away. That no matter how we screw up, no matter how sad we can be as sons and daughters at times, that this God's love is without condition toward us. That is accurate. But when people that have not yet come to know Jesus talk about God's unconditional love, it's not what we think that they think about. When people that don't yet know Jesus talk about God's unconditional love, they're describing a kind of love that would never point the finger, that would never say there is any need to change. That God loves me even if I turn my back to him my entire life. And I assure you that that is not the love of Christ. It demands change. It requires a rebirth. Because God wants something for us. He doesn't love us like a parent that says, stay up, determine your own bedtime, eat whatever you want, and sleep with whatever you want. That's not the love that God has. It is a love that I would describe as self-sacrificial. I think unconditional fails us. I want to make sure I haven't lost anyone at that point. God loves us long before we believe. Jeremiah 33.3 says, God's, I have loved you with an everlasting love. It's profound and amazing to think that when God first thought of me and knew what a sinful human being I would be, that he set his love on me in eternity past. So God loves us before we believe. If God, if we reject him, God still loves us. But he wants something way more for us. And to me, this really opened up the idea that God is holy and he laid a very strong decision in front of me to yield my life to him. That his love demands change. That God doesn't want to leave us alone where we're at. That he wants to change everything about us. J.I. Packer put it this way. It's staggering. It's staggering to think that God should love sinners. It's amazing. It's humbling. And it's this very fact that God revealed who I was and demanded change 
that keeps me intensely aware of his love for me day after day and year after year. God's love is self-sacrificial. Here's the second thing, and this is really surprising to me. God's love is delighting. How many of us have ever prayed, I thank you, Father, that you delight in me. That when you think of me, your heart has a joy, a happiness that I'm your son, that I'm your daughter. That you don't just love me because you're God, but you delight in me. Most of us are so wounded by our upbringings or by our cultural definition of what love is that we can't comprehend that God actually has a delighting love. So look with me at Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. So I want you to picture, you know when a a, a father or a mother is teaching their child how to walk for the first time and they're taking a few wobbly steps and the kid is like, I I keep falling on my face. I take a step, I fall down. And the parent is like, did you see that? They took a step. The parent delights in the very first steps of a child. And though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. Why? Because the Lord upholds his hand like the Lord, the holy God, is holding my hand. So I I want you guys to hear me on this, that God loves you right now and delights in you right now, not some future version of you. Not when you get over that sin struggle that you have that you've not told other people about. Not when you become more mature right now. Not a future version right now. It's a delighting love. That surprised me. And the next thing surprised me too, that God's love is unchanging. It's unchanging. Think about how we change. I know a lot of you are thinking, this dude's pretty young, he must be like 29. I'm actually not. And, um, you know, as I've gotten older, things have changed. I used to play basketball for three hours. Now maybe 30 minutes. (laughs) My knees hurt. All the time. I have an eyebrow hair that grows over my entire face. I'm not exaggerating. Think about how a person's body changes over time. Think about how your hair has changed over time. What you looked like a decade ago. Think about how your fashion changes. Think about how you used to have different friends. Think about how we're all transforming all the time. We're just in constant change from day to day. Relationships change. They cool. They drift. Have you guys heard the stages of a married cold? A married cold. Stage one of a marriage when one partner gets a cold. Sugar dumpling. That actually used to be a phrase people would use. We don't use it anymore. 
I'm really worried about my baby girl. You've got a bad sniffle, so let me take you to the hospital. That's year one. Year two, maybe you better lie down, honey. I'll bring you something to eat. To eat. Do we have any canned soup? Third year, look, be sensible. After you've fed the kids and done the dishes and cleaned up the house, then you better lie down. Now, those of you that are married are laughing more than the rest because you know this is just true of us. Year four, I wish you'd just gargle or something instead of sitting around barking like a seal. <laughs> now, this is not true for me. I'm not talking about my marriage. I want everyone to not pass on this story to my wife who's working right now. But we all dramatically change over time, and I want you to look at what God says about himself in Lamentations 3.22. The steadfast of the Lord, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are what every morning? New. Every morning. When God looks at you like a parent of a newborn child and looks at that child, it's like, oh, I love this child. That is the emotional response in the heart of God to us, his sons and daughter. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Let me unpack what this means to me. I want you to think about Jesus' death on the cross. I want you to think about Jesus knowing the sin that you would commit. Knowing how you would be slow to respond. That you drag your heels as if he's not good. Knowing the things that you've committed walked up that hill. Intentionally. And he allowed the nails to be drilled into his hands and feet. Crowned with a crown of thorns, bleeding, suffering, hour after hour for six hours. Determined to finish the work of atonement. Where God took everything that you and I have done and placed it on to Jesus. And in the last few moments of his life, he said, it is Finished. In other words, I did it. I accomplished it. I fully paid and suffered out of love for you. Do you see the passion of his suffering? My friends, the passion that was demonstrated in the moment of his death has not cooled toward you one iota. He loves you as passionately today as when he suffered on the cross. You don't believe that. You don't feel that because we end up on a hamster wheel of performance thinking I should be a better Christian. I should be more committed. I should read the Bible more. I should pray more. I should love people deeper. All of which is true, but Christ's passion doesn't change. And we can live in that delight. We can live in that unchanging love. Let that wash over you this morning.
God's love is universal, but personal. This is surprising to me, and I'll explain why. Some of us think, surely God loves me. Yes, but he loves everybody, right? It's right there in his job description. Number one, create the world. Number two, love everybody. It's just there. It's what God does. So I don't feel special because God loves me because he loves everybody. There is a sense in which God's love is universal. God so loved the world, John 3, 16. Jesus put it this way. God causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the wicked. Before I knew Jesus, I was wicked. And God caused the rain to fall on me. He blessed me like he blesses everybody because he loves everybody. But once God adopts us into his family, it's a different kind of love. Adoptive love is different than universal love. The way the apostle Paul put it was, he loved me and gave himself up for me. It's a personal love. You know, I have four kids. I talk about, about my kids all the time. And I deeply love each of my kids. But I do not love my kids the same. I want you to hear that very clearly. I do not love Caleb the way I love Emily. I do not love Emily the way I love Caitlin or Kara. And yes, I did need to pause trying to remember the names of all my, all my children. <laughs> I just got to be honest, we're in church. I don't love them the same. I love each of them uniquely. I look at the things in Caleb and I delight in that. I look at the things in Kara and delight in that. Do you believe God looks at you and delights in you? He delights in the things that make you you. He doesn't just love because you're his child. He loves you uniquely. Don't believe that? Psalm 149 says this, verse 4. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. He enjoys you. Maybe you're, you're not used to that vocabulary, those words. It's easier to say, yeah, God loves me, but does he like you? Does he enjoy you? It's been surprising to me. Let's walk through the images that God gives us very briefly. And let me just say this. The scripture is filled with images of God's love because he knows we won't buy this. He knows that we will categorize God's love in such a way that it won't overwhelm us. And so God has painted pictures everywhere to say, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. First, let's look at the stars. Tonight, at the end of this day, I encourage you to walk out and look up at the stars and realize that God put those there according to Scripture in order to give you a message. Isaiah 55 Verse 8 and 9 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And God is saying, don't think of me the way you think of other people. Psalm 103, verse 11 says this, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those toward those who fear him. The word fear means to love, to reverence. Think about the sand. God draws on the imagery of sand to communicate to us. This, by the way, is a uh, sand dune called Big Daddy. It's, uh, I love that name. Big Daddy. It's in uh, Namibia. 
And let's look at the scripture, Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. God is in front of you. He is behind you. He's got his hand on you. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain to it. And then verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, there are more than the sand. So look at Big Daddy here and look how massive it is. And imagine a handful of sand and every single grain is a thought from God toward you. I love you. I'm committed to you. I know you. I'm interested in you. I lean in. I draw closer. God gives us the imagery of stars and sand. He gives us the image of parental love. He gives us the image of parental love. What is more precious than the love of a a mother toward her child? Isaiah 49, verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. This actually happened to us in in our parenting Jana was holding, I think it was Caleb, Jana was holding Caleb as a little boy, brand new baby, in her arms, and she had a moment of panic, and it's like, where's Caleb, where's Caleb? And I'm looking at her, it's like, um, right, right there, right there in your arm. Romantic love. How could God possibly draw from the imagery of romantic love and say that he loves us like that? Isaiah chapter 62 as a young man rejoices, as a young man marries a young, a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Do we all agree that God's love is intimate and caring and passionate and unending and fills us up? I want to shift our focus for a few minutes here and focus on us. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, sat with his disciples and he talked about this topic. He talked about love. And this verse that I'm about to show you is familiar to many of us and I want it to strike us with newness. John 13, a new commandment I give to you that your love for one another, that you love one another Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. To the degree that we become people marked by love, to that degree, people will look at the good news of Jesus and say, this is legit. You guys are really followers of Jesus. I can tell by the love that I see in your relationships. So I prayed something kind of crazy when I was a young Christian. I don't know why I prayed it, 
I don't remember why I prayed it. I didn't know what I meant when I prayed it. But I prayed, Lord, would you make me like Jesus? I don't know what that really means. I just pray you'd make me like Jesus. In other words, would you make me a person of love? And there's been this inner dialogue within my life since first meeting Christ. In the context of my marriage, in the context of parenting, in the context of life groups, there's this been, there's this, there has been this repeated voice saying, this is not love. As a young Christian, I hung out with my people. That's what I did in high school the jocks. And when I became a Christian and I began to realize how arrogant that kind of love was. And I began to move into relationships with people that were not like me, that I didn't even have an interest in, because I felt that's how he had loved me. As time went on, I realized that I would say things at times, not to someone who had hurt me, but about that person to another individual. And I heard that voice, this is not love. And there are situations in my life where I got frustrated and tired, and I just wanted to avoid someone. And I heard that voice, this is, this is not love. And when I had sacrificed for someone and actually poured out a lot, and then they stabbed me in the back and walked away, and I just wanted to be done with them. And that voice said, this is not love. I've held on to hurts. I've been offended. The list goes on and on. And that repeated phrase, this is not love, has helped focus me on the cross and what he did for me. So I want to ask you a hard question here this morning before we worship. We're going to move into worship in just a minute. Do you want to become a person of love? I want you to answer that heart, that heart question there. Do you? Do you want to become a person of love? Do you desire that? I'm going to give you a minute here before we conclude this talk. And I want you to ask God to make you a person of love. You can pray with your spouse. You can pray with a friend. You can pray by yourself. If you're not comfortable with prayer, you can just respect the process of what's going on. Would you pray and ask God to do that in your life at this time?
The last surprising thing to me about God's love is that it's forgetful. It's forgetful. Psalm 103 verse 12 says this. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. It's like God says, I don't want anything to get in the way of my love for you. So I have got to remove your sin an infinite distance from you. I'm not going to hold this grudge against you. Hebrews 10, 17. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. I will not allow your mistakes to get in the way of this process, of this relationship. I will not allow the way that you fail me and you hurt me and you walk away from me and you don't trust me and you go your own way. I'm so good to you, but you don't trust me. I will not turn away from you and I will not hold that against you. It's the message of love. And I want you to know that God, if you prayed that prayer, would you make me a person of love? God has already answered one part of that process. God has created relationships in your life. You have opportunities right now to love someone that is unlovable to you, to move towards someone instead of holding a grudge. If you look around in your life, you will see that you are filled with opportunities to love. And it is only in, and it is by moving into love that we learn the way he loves us. Would you stand with me as we move into worship? Father, we thank you this morning that you have been so good to us. There is nothing more beautiful than to be able to love, to have a heart that's been filled up, a heart that's been freed, a heart that's been forgiven, and to be able to manifest to other people in our lives the kind of love that we've received from you. thank you that you're relentless that you're hurt but you don't move away you move toward us you are a good good father we thank you for your intimacy we thank you for your patience Thank you for the Holy Spirit changing us and making us a people of love. God, would you lift our eyes, our hearts, to just show you thanks today, to be grateful for the great way that you've loved us. We come now to worship in the name of Jesus. Amen.